Trick or treat the five and two Indianapolis Colts entering the gauntlet. You got to love it. 41-21 winners on Sunday in Motown in front of 500 fans. Uh, boy, game-changing plays defensively. Yeah, Chris, it's not very often you get a punt blocked against you and you win a game by 20 Yeah, in the NFL. So uh, things change in a hurry there on the Darius Leonard strip sack. We'll obviously hit on that today. And uh, I'm just – I'm giddy, man. I'm giddy. You know, we obviously got Saturday night is Saturday night. My Irish taking on the Clemson Tigers. So I am extra excited on this Monday morning. And you know what? I honestly feel like Colts fans are maybe in a similar boat to like how Notre Dame fans feel in a way of like kind of been waiting for this. We've been yeah. talking about it so much. Get to this point. Can you get to five and two after seven games? That was kind of my big thing all all first two months of the year. And now you're going to get the ultimate test coming up here. And really, it's going to be a long test. I mean, it's not going to be Baltimore and then it stops. It's going to be really all through the month of January or however long you play. And obviously for Notre Dame, it's the same way where you've faced a bunch of mediocre football teams. And now you're going to face, um, as Brian Kelly accurately, accurately said, the gold standard of college football. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped, man. I think we all are. You look at what that over-under was, 49. Colts almost got that by themselves. That's a good point. I mean, we, you and I both predicted somewhere in the mid to low 20s for this game. You, you watch it and you're like, oh, my God, this is uh, – and I don't want it the overreactions, but this is like a Luck Manning type score that you would see. You know, you score zero in the first and third quarters, yeah, but right. yet you put up 20 in the second and then obviously 21 um, in the fourth quarter there to put that game away. And just another fourth quarter with not a lot of pressure mm -hmm. on it. So that'll be another fun kind of aspect to these next um, two months of the season just to see where the Colts are at against the January competition. Let's briefly just kind of overall thoughts before we get into things I like, things I didn't like. Um, you know, what what I am starting to see is more and more signs from this defense. You know, the offense is such a head-scratcher for me right now. Um, some really great moments and just some awful moments yesterday, but the playmaking and the run defense, just yeah. outstanding. And you just put yourself in a position to – when you totally eliminate one aspect of an opposing team and then you're able to create the pressure like you did, you start to show up. So I would say that's the thing of, and we'll get into this a little bit more on Wednesday's podcast, but what is different from 5-2 and two last year to 5-2 and two this year, how that defense is playing, Chris, that's easily the biggest one for me. Absolutely. And after the game and the press conference, that's what Philip alluded to. He said, anytime you know, we take care of the football and our defense can score like that, we're going to be in every ball game, Right, and Phillip, taking care of it, did a great job of that and really efficient. We'll get into that. Um, yeah, sure, certainly you saw reasons why the Lions have now lost seven straight at home, which is just a wild number. Yeah. Um, that's a really high number. But, again, 5-2 and two plus 62 in the point differential right now. Uh, that is fifth in the NFL. Now, you look at all the NFC West teams, and they all just kind of beat each other up, so they aren't even that high, but still, that really stands out to me, and you know, I find myself, because I love college sports so much, I like tend to make references to it a lot. But in a way, I look at these first seven games, and I'm like, this is your non-conference basketball schedule. Mm -hmm. Like, you've gotten through these, you know, and it's unfair to call seven games in the NFL, like, equivalent to playing, you know, McNeese State and, <laughs> uh, you know, Loyola Chicago for, you know, 15 games in November and December. But it's kind of like that. 
Like, yeah, maybe you call Chicago like your ACC Big Ten Challenge game or, you know, Cleveland maybe was that one game you play on a neutral floor that's kind of semi-tough. But now you're going into the Big Ten. You're going into the ACC, and I love it. I love it. I think fans should absolutely be uh, very excited right now because there are positive signs that's different than last five and two, but at the same time, you're going to get great competition now for uh, really the large part of the next nine nine games you have. So um, I can't wait, man. And luckily for the Colts, one of those non-conference uh, games, like you mentioned, if you want to use the basketball uh, summary still, tripped up the Tennessee Titans. You know, right? the Bengals right? take down Tennessee, and that makes you feel even better today on this Monday. Yeah. You and get you know, a big win, and now you're tied with Tennessee in the division. All of those teams you're about to play lost yesterday. Mm-hmm. Baltimore, Tennessee, and Green Bay. And then look at what happened on the bye week. All the AFC South teams lost. So, yeah, I mean, things are starting to kind of go your way a little bit. And, again, I never felt like this team was ever going to miss the playoffs based on those teams around them. But now it's like, oh, wow. You know, if you, you can sneak one a week from Thursday in Nashville, now you're playing from the driver's seat the rest of the year in this division. So, um just really, really exciting times uh, for uh, for those that follow and love your Indianapolis Colts. Well, let's jump into things you like. Obviously, the first thing on your list was the second half defense. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I honestly should even say first half as well, just because what you did with the run game. You know, Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift, <laughs> eleven carries for eight yards is is laughable. Uh, what they it makes Jonathan Taylor's performance look pretty good, honestly. Um, and this run defense continues to just establish a line of scrimmage, reset it in the backfield oftentimes, and be the best part of this football team through the first seven games. And then, you know, we've talked about it before, when you do that, then you can have some fun on third down. And the Colts did that. I thought Tyquan Lewis, really good getting the start for Danico Autry. What I liked about Lewis, Chris, was he gives you two sacks, which is great, but one from the interior and one from the edge. Yep. It was the spin move from the interior. It was kind of that upper-under move off the edge. And, like, that's great versatility. It's so needed right now because you always need multiple bodies on the defensive line. Now you feel like, okay, the Colts have five guys up front that they really like. Is Kamoko Ture a sixth after, you know, Frank Reich is saying he flashed a little bit at Friday's final practice of the week. If you can build that depth up front, not only is it critical for this season, but certainly one eye, of course, looking ahead to the future for a kid that's on his third year of that rookie deal. So the D-line continues to be really, really good. Um, Kenny Galladay totally shut down. I don't know if he was hurt or if he just said, guys, I'm going to tap out. But um, four targets, no catches. He had the drop early, which was big, but still to eliminate – you know, really one of the better wideouts you're going to face all season long. Great work there by the Colts. So, uh, But when I say second-half defense, I really mean that Leonard strip sack. Mm-hmm. That was the play of the game to me. The Danny Shelton penalty was just an idiotic play and was, was really a huge play in the game. But the Leonard strip, that was still an uneasy moment. Like, don't look at 41-21 and think that's what it was the whole game. I thought the Colts were the definite better team throughout the vast majority of that game but still it was 20 to 14 Mm -hmm. late third quarter the Lions are approaching the red zone they've converted several third downs even without Galladay and a run game Stafford is still making some plays and then boom 
Leonard comes off the edge, kind of delayed a little bit in almost a stunt action, and his length. Like, that was a big reason why the Colts drafted him where they did. They love the wingspan that he has. And if you watch that replay, I mean, man, he uses every bit of that wingspan Mm -hmm. to make the strip on Stafford. Justin Houston pounces on it. The offense then goes down the field, and they take advantage. The the Doolin pass interference penalty was huge. And then the Kenny Moore pick six, you know, in my opinion, iced it. So, um, again, that, that that Leonard play, that's what – and has been a little bit missing from him this season. You know, when he was healthy for those three and a half games, no sacks. Right. Hadn't had the turnover yet. And you just – you need those splash plays from him. He made a couple plays late in the first half that were big as well, but still – Nothing like the strip sack. So, um, five sacks, you know, another game with an interception. Uh, Autry with two sacks. Lewis with two. It was weird. Autry out snapped Lewis pretty significantly, even though Taekwon started. But, yeah, another really solid defensive performance from the Colts. Yeah, I almost texted you during that, that uh, strip sack because, as you mentioned in the last pod, we'd still been waiting on that splash play from Darius Leonard. It was like, okay, he's got his fumble. Let's start going. You know, it's it's funny, Chris. I almost feel a little unfair, like, mentioning that on last week's podcast. Like, you know what, guys? When Leonard's been healthy, we haven't seen the absurd standard that he has set for himself. I mean, it is absurd yeah. what he's done in his first two NFL seasons from a playmaking standpoint. So we're, like, used to this stuff. We think it's normal for linebackers to do that week in and week out. But that's what Leonard's done. But you just had the feeling. I don't know about you, but I was just like, Man, the lines are due for a turnover. Like mm-hmm. they are due to commit something, and that was Leonard forcing it himself, and the floodgates were open from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's still an uneasy moment. You did not play well in that third quarter, and even late first half. You know, Prater misses the field goal, but the Lions played much better than you through the majority of that third quarter, and the Leonard strip uh, totally changed it. And then on the other side of the ball, we mentioned at the start of the podcast, Philip Rivers taking care of the football, completing a pass to 11 different receivers. Just an all-around great game. Yeah, another really good performance. I tweeted out at the end of the first half, and I will say it now. It's laughable that people thought he should have been benched for Jacoby Brissett. He's getting no support from his run game. His number one wideout is now hurt, but continues not not to produce, and yet you know, here you are sitting at five and two. And really, when you break it down, the Colts have played, what, seven games? That's 14 halves of football. I mean, I would make the argument he's played 11 pretty darn good halves of football. Some some great, but yes, the second half of Cleveland was awful. And really, Jacksonville, you know, he, he threw a pick in each of the first couple halves, but still made some great throws in those halves. Like, He's giving you an upgrade. And the situational football yesterday, 7 of 14 on third down, 3 of 3 in the red zone. I mean, that's gold, gold. Um, And continues to give his playmakers some chances. Talked about the Doolin pass interference penalty. I mean, that is a third and 14 that if you are going to complete a pass there for a first down, what? Your chances are, I don't know, 10%. Something not very good. And Rivers like, all right, might as well. Lions have already committed one dumb penalty. Let's see if they can cover this one. Mm-hmm. And just kind of throws it up to Doolin. Lions had great coverage, but too good a coverage. And there's a huge, huge penalty. 
Um, that gives the Colts a first and goal right there, and they're able to cash that in. Pascal, the back shoulder to Pascal was beautiful down the sideline. Both the throws to Hines that we'll, we'll talk about here in just a second, just beautiful as well. Um, and I guess let, let, let me talk about that. The first touchdown to Hines, I believe, was more the catch and run. Rivers lofts that ball balloon style. Yeah. Lofts it up in the air. And, like, that was by design. And yet that is how just smart and how accurate he is as a thrower of the football. Throwing the football is not all just, are you a gunslinger? Do you have a howitzer of an arm? Can you fit it into these tight, crazy windows outside the numbers? It's about throwing kind of a variety of passes throughout a game. And that ball to Hines... He knew full well, I want to give get him running as close to full speed, mm-hmm. as close to in stride as possible, and Hines just kind of catches that and doesn't break stride for a second. If you throw that on target, behind him at all, no way that that play goes for more than five yards. Yeah. But yet you give 4-3-40 speed a ball on the highway where you're merging into, you know, just beautiful traffic. And you're great. Everything, everyone else is going 70 miles per hour around you, and you can just slide right in there. And, uh, yeah, just really, really good from Rivers. 23 of 33, 262. No one caught the ball more than three times. Spread it, spread it around. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's giving you more than you had last season. It's the accuracy, and it's enough big plays. I'm almost nervous that you're putting too much on his plate right now, but – He's been able to handle it here in these last couple of games. So you could tell the Colts were running a lot of rub routes early on. They were nervous about Detroit interior-wise running the football and then how much man coverage they play. Trying to you know, A lot of crossers, a lot of rub routes yep. to try and get those guys in space. And um, really, really solid from, from Rivers. So job well done for uh, QB1. And sticking with Hines, other than that one drop, where you know Philip was a little bit disappointed, you could tell Hines was as he started to run before he caught the ball. He had a great game, great game, um, and moves, and you know acrobatics, dude. I mean, Simone Biles is tweeting out after the game. I know he tweeted I mean, back. Jeez, <laughs> like wow, that's a win. Um, yeah, shout out to Sam Pezik, a great cathedral gymnast that was also an an Olympian. I I was thinking of her when Naeem Hines did his. I believe it was a round off. I, I think that was the terminology. Okay. I'm not up to, you know, par on my gymnastics moves, but my wife said round off into a back twist, I believe is how she would have called that. Okay. Um, it looked hard, really hard. <laughs> I think I would have been fitted for a neck brace as soon as I attempted that. But um, full pads doing that? And I love how they said, yeah, he just picked it up. He just, you know. In high school, just went and, you know, was with the cheerleaders and just picked it up. Oh, that's cool. You can just pick it up. like Right, that. and I love how Hines says after the game, yeah, I've been planning to do that. I just forget about it when I get in the end zone. <laughs> what do you mean you forget about that? Like, this is not you forgot to get the bananas at the grocery. Like, you're doing something that can injure you. And, yeah. hell, the second jump, I'm like, oh, my God, did he get hurt there? Like, yeah. that was kind of an awkward landing. But uh, in all seriousness, with Hines, and we have been such a big fan of Naeem Hines and even Jordan Wilkins on this podcast. These are the offensive plays you have been waiting for. We've talked about it before. If you look at Hines' big play numbers offensively, it's been extremely disappointing, his lack of big plays via the run, 
and the pass. But yet on the first touchdown, you bring him in motion. All of a sudden, the Lions linebackers start to kind of shift, thinking, oh, boy, this could be a jet sweep. This could be something to wear. It was coming to the near side of the field, the left side, if you were Rivers. And then, boom, he pivots and goes back to where he originally lined up. That gets the defense moving one way. Rivers leads him in stride. And, I mean, the spin move was just incredible inside the 10 there. And then on the second touchdown, you now have him split out wide. It wasn't a linebacker, I don't think, on him. And it's just a double move. Mm -hmm. And there's Hines split out to what he was doing, you know, in in college when he was a wide out for so much of his time at NC State. Like, it's the different ways he can touch the football and make big plays for you. Um, So important yesterday, and with the Hilton injury that we'll talk about here in a little bit, it's so important moving forward for this football team. It's like Frank and... Uh, Hines listened to the podcast because, like you said, they didn't draft him to be a kick and punt returner. They drafted no, him for what nope, he nope, did nope. yesterday. No, you do not take a guy like that in round four before you took Jordan Wilkins uh, if you think he's just going to be a fourth down specialist. It's a nice bonus. But, no, you drafted him because you thought he could impact you offensively in a multitude of ways. And yesterday was the best. And I know it was only two plays, and he had the drop like you mentioned, but that was probably – and clearly they were trying to get him involved on the trick play where Pascal threw it to yep. him. Like, Heinz needs more touches. In space, he, he he just has to touch the football more. This offense is in a major need, needs jolts, needs sparks, whatever you want to call it. And Heinz gave you that yesterday. So, uh, beautiful work from him. Beautiful celebrations as well. Frank Reich loved it after the game. He's like, I we want our guys to show – some emotion and all of that, and um, Hines earned it. Just, yeah, just try and stick your landing a little bit better. <laughs> Don't get hurt. And the other spark player on offense, a guy who ended up in the top ten running back-wise when it came to stats yesterday, Jordan Wilkins. Boy, um, so needed. Again, Jonathan Taylor just isn't getting it done right now with this rushing offense. And, you know, there's a stubbornness from Frank Wright to stick with the run game, which we can get into. But if you're a Colts fan, you should be thankful that he didn't have a stubbornness in sticking with Jordan Wilkins or um, Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. yesterday. That would have been stubborn. It was not getting done. What? 11 for 22 for yep. Jonathan Taylor. Hell, I mean, Hines was 5 for 8 running the football. I mean, neither of them were good at all. And, again, it's not all on them, but you just you had to do something different with that rushing attack. And Jordan Wilkins is the ultimate insurance policy. Played, what, six offensive snaps the previous two weeks? Had two carries? He This was not a, oh, yeah, Jordan Wilkins is in our game plan. No. Right. He was not scheduled to have a dozen carries. And yet, he shows up, 20 carries a career high, 89 yards a career high. You know, Frank Reich talked about it after the game. He just runs with a great balance. He runs with patience. Uh, I posted a story on him late last night. And then there was a Quentin Nelson quote where Nelson talks about his patience and his ability to read blocks. And I don't think we are – I don't think I'm reading too much into it, but I think the Colts' offensive line likes the running style of Jordan Wilkins more than they like the running style of Jonathan Taylor. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, I don't know if, like, you're blocking better or there's a confidence level, but I do think there is something to wear. And we had Jeff Saturday on the morning show earlier today, and he said, like, pretty much the Colts' run game was getting whatever has been blocked, good or bad. And I just feel like Wilkins is – he has some patience, but yet when he knows that's the move he's going to make, that's the cut he's going to have, he's very decisive with that. Yes. And gets upfield. He's a much better north-south runner. And clearly the Colts did a lot of perimeter runs with Taylor early on. That just weren't working. So, um, great work by Jordan Wilkins to deliver, to step up. Yeah, I mean, if I'm giving a starting running back on Sunday, I'm going to have Jordan Wilkins as a starter. I think Jonathan Taylor should be heavily involved and still involved a lot. I like Jonathan Taylor personally as a little bit of a change of pace guy because he has that 4-3 speed, you know. Wilkins more the methodical kind of runner. Wilkins has the power and the speed, but I don't know. Or um, Taylor has the power and the speed, but if you put Taylor on the bench, you know maybe it helps him see a series to start off. And okay, okay, here's what the iPad's looking like, or you know, okay, this and that. Um, but Wilkins just deserves more of a first quarter opportunity for me. It might not go great, but I think he he deserved that from what he showed you. On Sunday, so um, yeah, the run game had to get something going, some support. You know, it wasn't all great for Wilkins. He had that struggle in the third quarter there, and I think he entered the fourth quarter, you know, under four yards per carry, but then ran it really well yeah. in the four-minute offense. So I have a feeling we'll have a few more questions on that come come Twitter time. All right, let's jump to things that you did not like. You mentioned the run game in the first half, especially, but the early run game for the Colts yesterday. Yeah, uh, five negative runs in the first quarter. That is absolutely pitiful. Um, again, the as I drop my wedding ring, the <laughs> point of attack runs just... You know, I, I don't love the run blocking right now. At the same time, I feel like, again, Jonathan Taylor makes some strides. Um he needs to make some strides as well with his vision, with his, with his decision-making, stands like that. And what's really alarming to me, Chris, right now is your O-line has been healthy. You know, for six of seven games, your O-line has been healthy. And you're about to face, you know, Baltimore without Ronnie Stanley and Tennessee without Taylor Lewan, mm-hmm. and Green Bay's hurt on their offensive line. I mean, like, Colts have, again, had really good offensive line health this season, yet you rank dead freaking last in the NFL – in yards per carry. Um, it, it's it's so alarming that you're now almost halfway through the season, and that's where you're at right now. Um, you know, Frank, with these second and long runs, there's a very fine line between calling plays to not tip your hand tendency-wise and also just trying to win the freaking game. Mm-hmm. Like I get it. You want to be unpredictable. But if you're chasing that all offseason long of like, oh, boy, we just self, self-scouted self ourselves at the bye week and, you know, we're running it 68% of the time in this situation or we're throwing it 71%, we got to kind of change that up. Okay, yeah, to a degree, I get it, but that's such a dangerous slope. It's such a slippery slope of like, no, we have to run this because when the other team watches film next week, we need them to see that we ran it in this situation or – when it is second and nine, we are going to run it 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. When you're not just getting it done, that's got to go out the window. And you've got to try and 
call the game, to win that game, win that sequence, win that drive, whatever you want to call it. And so I think that is a bit worrisome. And then I'm also just curious how much we're seeing Phillip Rivers check at the line. Yeah. You know, how many times is that, oh, that's a light box. We're going to check into, you know, a run play. And then that's just, again, that's your front not winning. I mean, if you if you got a light box, you should be winning. It shouldn't be these five negative runs in one quarter. Yeah. Against a, de- a run defense that was like 25th or 6th in the NFL. That is um that's that's worrisome for me. You just yeah. I mean you you can't run the damn ball. Like cannot run it right now. And again, for this team to win in the month of January, that that has to change. Yeah, they showed a stat at one point, I want to say late in the third quarter in terms of third down conversions or third down conversions and also the average distance on those third down, those six and a half yards. That that's a lot of yards to pick up yeah. on third down consistently. No, uh, without a doubt. And we'll talk about this more. I think we had a Twitter question on it with the Hilton injury and now losing Cam, you know, having lost Campbell and, you know, Pittman's still trying to kind of find his way as he gets back in the lineup. More pressure is going to build on this rushing offense. To, to produce, mm-hmm. not just play keep away against some of these explosive offenses, but to legitimately produce. And the schedule is what the schedule is. You have not played good offenses. You haven't played that many great run defenses. That's going to start to change. Um, and that's probably my biggest concern as we look ahead to the second half of the season is just, again, how much are you putting on the plate of Phillip Rivers? Right. You're starting to put a whole lot. And, you know, I'm facing the same dilemma at home right now. Not enough Halloween candy was taken by the neighbors. I'm like, do I just eat it all really quick <laughs> so I never have to look at it again? Or do I methodically eat my way through it? I don't know what to do. And right now, the Colts are loading up that plate of Phillip Rivers. And right now he's eating it. But dangerous game to play. Yeah. Another thing you didn't like was a unit that up until yesterday had been so solid throughout the season, and that was special teams. Jeez, man. Almost got our star player hurt. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sanchez getting hurt on the pump block. Good thing Jordan Wilkins corrected himself after that, and even Bobby Ogariki made some plays. Those two, maybe a slight overload, but they just got blown up on that punt block. And then uh, Hot Rod's missing two extra points. You know, I know the first one wasn't a great snap, but Sanchez got it. Or uh, yeah, Sanchez got it down. Right, you got to make that. And you, you miss two extra points indoors. That's not good. Um. And even kick return, they had a little bit of an advantage there as well versus what you've been able to do. So, yeah, by far the worst we've seen from the special teams. Frank Reich was worried about it coming into the game. He thought the Lions special teams unit was pretty good. Um, But these are just kind of the playing with fire stuff of like, okay, you can overcome the Lions. They'll give you some chances. But you do that against better football teams, and you aren't going to win those games. So. Um, you know, you, you give that unit the benefit of the doubt because they've been so good for, you know, six games to start the year. But, again, you're giving an average football team hope, and you can't do that moving forward. Yeah. All right, those were things you liked, things you didn't like. Shall we jump into Twitter questions? Yes, sir. All right, this one comes from Jacob, who is from West Virginia, and he wants to know, who would win in a matchup, the 2018 Colts or the 2020 Colts? 2018 had a much better offense, but 2020 has a much better defense. 
Country Rose, <laughs> take me home. No one wants to hear me sing. I sing to Rosie, and luckily she smiles occasionally, but my voice is just freaking horrific. Horrific. That's all right. I'm one of the worst singers you, you, you'll ever find. Um, Jake, appreciate you listening. Boy, that's a good question, man. 2018 versus 2020? Mm-hmm. Boy, that 2018 run game, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere against this 2020 defense. I mean, how long has it been since we're like, the Colts stopped the run? And that's just like the expectation. Mm-hmm. That's literally, I asked Jeff, Jeff Saturday earlier today, I was like, the last time you've seen a Colts defensive front this stout against the run, he's like, literally, playoff run in 2006. That's, I mean, those Colts teams weren't great against the run yeah. by any means. So, um, man, this would be a great game. I'm going to, you know me, I, I'm team quarterback. I'd rather have Andrew Luck under center, but. He certainly wouldn't have the defense that Phillip Rivers has. So, you know, that, that 2018 team, Leonard was great. Autry was really good that season. Obviously no Buckner, so that would be an issue. But, you know, Hilton was still really good. Mack was nearly five yards per carry. Yeah, also the 2018 team, 24-20. Uh, 20, 24-20. All right. This, is, this one's from Craig who says, Another stellar game by Rivers. What's more likely? The first quarter of the season was a mulligan, and now he's starting to gel within the system? Or is this a short-term blip? Also, is it too early to say Hilton is no longer the team's top receiver? Yeah, Craig, I'll, I'll wait on the Hilton one, but let's go with this uh, Rivers. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't give him a total mulligan. You know, it's just, I get it. You know, lack of an offseason. It's not like Rivers is going to play that much in the preseason, though. And, and Let's be fair. I mean, the Rivers we've seen the last two weeks, I'm not expecting that to be the norm either moving forward. But I I couldn't believe how much people freaked out about Rivers after that Cleveland game. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that is, jeez, you sound like my neighbor just throwing a fit when the you know Reese's were out at the Bowen household. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, just take the milk duds and move on. Like, this is life in the NFL to agree, and it's life for Philip Rivers, a quarterback. Uh, he can be really good, and for the most part, he's been that. But you are going to have moments where he is a little bit shaky. I guess a lot shaky. Um, so I think he's a little bit closer to the guy we've seen recently than the one we saw against you know, Cleveland. But again, first quarter of the season, I mean, I thought against Minnesota and the Jets, he was pretty good in those games. I mean, I don't think he threw a pick. He was highly efficient. So... Yeah, people are just um, – people hate Rivers. I mean, again, I, I know I've said it before. People just don't like Phillip Rivers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're trying to look at this without those type of glasses on here. I think he's been pretty good for you. This one's from Big Bama. says, the Colts seem to be playoff contenders instead of championship contenders due to the inconsistency of playing up and down to their competition. Do you think that's because of the young team? that they have or preparation from the coaching staff or both? Yeah. um, Yeah, I don't think there's, like, unquestioned championship talent on this team. I I don't, like, think it's that they're young or their coaching staff isn't preparing them that well. I I don't think the talent is at the point to where you're in the same breath as – you know, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Kansas City, whoever else you want to throw up there. You got you got to have some dudes at wideout. And this team doesn't have dudes at wideout. Um, I still think the edge group could use another, you know, factor in there. So, 
you know, the jump from playoff contender to championship contender is pretty big. And I just think the inconsistency of playing up and down that stuff, I just don't think talent-wise across the board they are, you know, whatever, top five team, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, I feel like the Colts have a lot of good players, but not a lot of great players. And I would say great players at the truly impactful spots, you know? And wideout and, and edge rusher are very high. On the, and quarterback on that list. And while Rivers has been good, I still don't think he's, you know, winning you multiple games in the month of January away from home good. Well, let's stick with that impactful position because Steve wants to know, with T.Y. Hilton's injury, do you think the Colts will go after a wide receiver before the deadline? When we talked last week, Chris, I think this is one of the caveats I threw in there. If you have a significant injury on Sunday, that might alter my thinking of Ira Chris Ballard. And we'll see how much time Hilton's going to miss. You know, okay, if it's like the Darius Leonard groin from earlier in the year, you know, he's going to be out, what, two weeks, three weeks? You know, something like that. I don't know. I guess Leonard had the bye, which helped him out Mm -hmm. a little bit in there as well. So um, I I might just listen or make the calls a little bit more today. But still, I'm, I'm just a little hesitant on pushing that button. And I think we have a few more trade questions, so I'll probably wait on that. But as far as Hilton, people will overlook the injury. People will write him off. People will act like this is no big deal. It's a deal. It's a noticeable injury when you take him off the field. Yeah. Because you are just putting a lot of pressure on Zach Paschal, Marcus Johnson, Michael Pittman. I mean, that's... That's not your top three wideouts. I mean, like what? Hilton still draws attention. And now when opposing defense is sitting here saying, wow, um, they can't run the ball. And the guy that we used to fear isn't even out there. We can do, we can, you know, commit resources elsewhere. We can, well, let's choke the tight ends. Let's bring a whole lot of pressure at Rivers. Let's even load the box even more to totally eliminate the run game. It's just not something to where, you know, what's his name? Wink, whatever his name is, Baltimore's defensive coordinator on Tuesday night is freaking out as much as you normally would. Hilton still draws a presence from an opposing defense. And now when you say, oh, Marlon Humphrey doesn't need to shadow him, or mm-hmm. like, yeah, we, we're good, that just alleviates a lot of stress and it puts more pressure on the rest of the offense to perform at that level. I know T.Y. Hilton wasn't getting it done anywhere near the level that we're used to T.Y. Hilton getting it done, but he's still out there, and that is just something to where, boy, Ashton Doolin is, gets banged up late in the game, and, you know, are Pascal Johnson and Pittman winning against press coverage when your run game isn't showing up? That's where I worry because when the river signing happened, You know, we talked about it a lot. The 10 guys around Phillip Rivers have got to really help him. Mm -hmm. Your wideouts have got to be good. They've got to win consistently. And right now, that would be my worry moving forward of just, okay, when you play better defenses, when you need to score on a more routine basis, do you have enough to get that done? So I think the Hilton injury is more – significant than people will if he's going to miss two to three weeks or whatever or hell it's just another lower body injury for a guy that suffered a lot right 
over the last two years. Um, yeah, this is one that I'm not going to write off. And at the end of the day, Hilton is still what leading the. He's got to be leading the team in receiving yards through the first seven games. I can't imagine. And well, maybe Hines. I don't. Hines might have more catches, but Hilton, I think, has the most yards in the team. Like he's still doing something for you. So uh, yeah, this is. Um, it'll get lost in the shuffle, but I'm I'm definitely watching it. Matt says, tell me why Wilkins isn't the best running back on the Colts. All he does is get yards, led the league last year in yards per carry, probably towards the top this year. He's so reliable. Well, he's definitely not towards the top this year. Um, but, yes, he was leading the league or very close to it in 2018, 2019. You know, Chris, he was entering Sunday. He entered Sunday with um, 3.2 per carry on the season. So this is not like a – He's averaging five and a half a pop when he gets in the game. Why isn't he touching the ball? Like, he wasn't, you know, getting it done either. But, um, you know, I would say this is what's kind of held Wilkins back. Injuries in training camp have hurt him. Yep. A little ball security issue, which is a big deal for Tom Rathman, the running backs coach. And then you also fight this dilemma, Chris, of like, Marlon Mack gets better as the game goes on. He needs to touch it 15, 18, 22 times, and then you really see the benefit from him. And then you're like, oh, wow, we want to sprinkle in Hines. And it's just kind of it's a nice problem to have. It's why, you know, the Colts running back group might be the deepest in the NFL, mm-hmm. which is awesome and is so needed. You've relied on all four of them now at the midway point of the season. So that's just a little bit of awkwardness with Wilkins of just like, yeah, I feel like he's deserved more, but you know, then are you taking away from Mac and, and things like that? Um, again, I think Mac, or excuse me, I think Wilkins should start on Sunday. But my early thought is this: I don't think he needs to be getting two to one or three to one more carries than Taylor. I'm just selfishly think, okay, let's give him a first quarter look. What does he look like when the opposing defense is fresh mm-hmm. and you are playing against more of the front-line guys and he's not spell duty like he usually is? It's a very interesting stat. Wilkins has started four games in his career. Again, a lot of that was early. I, honestly, he started early in his rookie season because Mack was hurt to start that 2018 season. His yards per carry in those four starts – 2.8. Wow. His yards per carry when he comes off the bench, like 5.9. Now, four starts is not the biggest sample size in the world, but it's a sample size that we have to go off of. I mean, that's huge. That's three yards of a difference per carry. Yeah. So, it's just kind of like, I get why, okay, the first quarter rule maybe hasn't been... Yes, he deserves it, without a doubt. Like, okay, I understand that. But you're at this point right now with the run game where I something different has to happen. And it might be too much credence to call it whispers, but I just don't feel like this offensive line has loved how Jonathan Taylor's handling their blocking style. And did Wilkins show you something on Sunday to think, okay, let's see this in expanded role? I think he did. So... I'm going with Wilkins. I still like Taylor, think that Taylor needs to be used, believe he can still help this football team. But right now, I just think Will, Wilkins deserves the first call. And really, at running back, it's more of a who get, who comes out of the tunnel, mm-hmm. who starts the first series. Like fantasy football, this is hell. Sorry. 
the fantasy football owners. But, um, yeah, I think Wilkins deserves it. And how much goes into, especially with this defensive front coming up, if you're in there on a passing down, being able to pass protect yeah. for Rivers? No, that is a good point. We'll see with the Matthew Judon hitting the official. I assume he'll still play. He They got that apology out quick, which was smart. But, yeah, I mean, Baltimore's front. I mean, Clayus Campbell and, and Gakwe and Brandon Williams. I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> – this is uh this is a front and they're gonna be you would assume pretty pissed off after that loss. Tyler would like to know through seven games, which of the one year prove it deal players would you resign to a multi league average contract? Rivers, Burton, Johnson, Rhodes, Carey, Day, or Stallworth? Oh, wow, that's a lot of names on that list. Um I'd resign Rhodes. I mean you're probably gonna have to go a little bit above league average. I'd re resign Rhodes. Probably Burton, if he can stay healthy. Johnson. Mm, yeah, I mean, Stallworth, Carey, Day. Probably needs to see a little bit more. Stallworth had some nice moments, Carey, early on in the year as well. Yeah, Rivers, I would think. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, as of now, I think so. But, uh, you know, you guys know where I stand on the future of quarterback. And this will be a big topic we'll cover more at Beers with Bowen um, a week from Wednesday. Again, that's 8 o'clock on, on YouTube. Um, we'll be virtual, as always, interactive as well. And so we're, we're, we're going to take a pretty deep dive into the free agent class. That'll be the exact midway point of the season mm -hmm. through eight games. This, one's from, this one is from Scott, who asks, is the problem with the run game more the O-line or Taylor's lack of vision? I mean, can I say both? Yeah. You know, it, it's it's uh, I do think it's a little bit of both with – Taylor, I'm just not seeing. I'm not seeing his physical attributes on display, and I think that's a lack of confidence, a lack of belief, a lack of this is the cut I need to make. This is the hole. If it's not there, this should be my cutback lane. Those things, but I also think there are some plays where all of a sudden it's like Ryan Kelly's turning around and there's a guy in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, there the point of attack. You have not been as stout as you should be, and we will beat this to a dead horse. You have five offensive linemen, and four of them are top 40 picks. Yeah. You expect better. You flat out expect better out of that group. So um, it is it is a little bit of both. But right now, if I'm a little bit worried about the O-line and the blocking, and Wilkins is giving you a spark, you know, let's see if the spark can go two weeks in a row. Sticking with the running backs, Cody has a funny one. Uh, did Jonathan Taylor call Reich's mom fat at halftime or something? <laughs> it was the Hines and Wilkins show all of yesterday. <laughs> uh, I I don't know, Cody, if you have Jonathan Taylor on your fantasy team, but it, he deserved the one carry he got in the second half. Like, I mean, what was it at halftime? First half stats couldn't have been pretty for uh, Jonathan Taylor. Ten carries, 22 yards at half. Jordan Wilkins, six carries, 32 yards. So that is a 3.1-yard difference in yards per carry mm -hmm. for those two at halftime. That's why Taylor caught it and started in the third quarter. And sorry about your fantasy team, but, again, the point I made earlier in the podcast, if you're going to be stubborn with the run game, don't be stubborn with your personnel. Taylor wasn't getting it done. Hines wasn't even getting it done as a runner. Let Jordan Wilkins try and build off the six for 32. And he struggled a little bit in the third quarter, 
but then help you ice the game away in the fourth quarter. Yeah. This one's from Jordy. He says, you can nitpick a lot about this game, but let's just ask let's just ask about the obvious glaring issue, and in all caps, what in the bleep is going on with the run game? Yeah, you know, a lot of questions like this. It's, again, the biggest disappointment of 2020. You cannot put too much on Phil Rivers' plate, man. You can't. You can't. You know, when you were 5-2 and two last year, a historic start to the season running the football. Historic start. And you were getting it done in the win-loss column. You weren't getting the, the vertical passing game going enough, but still, you were getting done in that run-loss column, or in the win-loss column. Um, I mean, the Lions literally did do – they don't do anything well. Like, look at their stats. They do nothing well as a football team uh, above average. So, again, you're playing with fire with some of these teams now. It's 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 a little bit of – you know, I, I kind of sprinkle it a little bit of everywhere. It's some of the stubbornness to run it, but I also think that, like, I trust Philip Rivers' decision-making that he feels like they have advantageous number situation when he's checking to run plays. And so that means you're just not getting it done blocking mm-hmm. it up. And then also, again, some of the vision. So when you looked at the numbers of the running backs entering yesterday, you know, Hines and Wilkins had struggled as of late, and Taylor was giving you a little bit more in the run game. But still, none of those guys were at a great yards per carry number. So that's why I put more of it onto that offensive line. But with the amount of carries Taylor's gotten this year, he's had 100 carries. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. He's also had a chance to kind of prove himself a little bit more or show you the other thing. And I think he showed me too much of the other thing, so that's why I'm going with Wilkins. Bailey wants to start off by saying, hope your family had a great Halloween. We did. We did. Great weather. Irish played great. Um, I don't know about great, but good enough. Uh, yeah, Rosie was an egg. Um, I was a piece of bacon, and my wife was a um, toast, jelly toast. The photo was great. You guys looked awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it was. the egg didn't last very long. Okay. She kind of struggled, you know, <laughs> kind of a gaudy little saucer looking. I thought she was Saturn at, <laughs> at one point. But, um, yeah, we had a great time and beautiful weather in the uh, in the Indy area. Mm-hmm. Halloween Saturday night, man. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. Just pray. Pray for, your, pray for the college kids. But goes on to ask, how does T.Y. seem? Is he at all bothered or anything just about how everything is gone? Seems like during the week he's smiling and having fun, but just hope he's in good spirits. You know, Bailey, I see T.Y. Hilton for five minutes every week on a Zoom call. Unfortunately, that's life in 2020. Um, he's still very businesslike in what I see on the practice field. It's not like he's doing anything differently from the routine that I see pre-practice. He's always extremely diligent. And he's practicing a whole lot, um, which is good for his health. So he says the right things, but, you know, T.Y., I think he's honest. He knows this is the first contract year of his career. How are you not disappointed individually? And what is going on? He wants one more contract. He wants the multi-year deal. He wants to stay in Indianapolis. And after seven weeks with this injury, that's a very up-in-the-air question, and I'm probably in the minority of people that would even give it a thought to bring him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying I would, but I'd at least give it a thought. So, yeah, I mean, 5-2 and two is nice, but still, these guys are individual competitors at the end of the day, and... Yeah, it's nice to win, but you know, T.Y. wants a little bit more. Yeah. 
Well, this next one is some props and a compliment coming your way, Kevin, from Crimea Rivers. He is a marathon runner, and he saves the podcast for his long runs. That's when he listens to the pods. So thank you, Crimea Rivers. Oh, I love it. Can you imagine running a marathon, man? N- no, I can't imagine running to my car. No, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I get out of breath trying to sprint up the basement steps. Yeah. But anyway, he goes on to ask, kind of seems like there aren't many obvious head coaching candidates, but a lot of potential head coaching openings. If Sirianni and Eberflus get a job, do we have internal replacement identified, or do you think it could be an outsider? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest with you. I would say first name offensively that comes to mind would probably be Mike Grow, the new wideout coach, because he has been an offensive coordinator before in Philly. Again, that's a role that doesn't involve calling plays, so I don't think it's as substantial of a hire. And that role isn't you – know, Sirianni isn't the quarterback's coach either. You know, sometimes you see that, you know, offensive coordinators, also the QB coach. The Colts have um, Marcus Brady for that. Boy, defensively, no one stands out. I mean, Dave Borgonzi's their linebacker's coach. He's kind of been in this scheme before down in Tampa. But no, no one really obvious at all. I feel like you see so many promotions in the NFL mm-hmm. with coordinator positions. So, um, yeah, I, 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 no, no one really stands out to me. I also, I'm not like 100% sold Sirianni and Eberflus would get head coach jobs either. Um, I know they were on the list uh, back in 2018, but, yeah. David asks, we saw Taylor try to replicate what Mac does on Sunday via setting up blocks and lanes with patience but it seems like it's not his play style to do such a thing and goes on to say it kind of seemed unnatural. But for Wilkins, it seemed like right up his alley. With that performance, does Wilkins come into conversation for a lead-back role, or was this a one-game type of performance for Wilkins? Hopefully not. Thank you for the great podcast. Thank you, David, for listening. Um, I'm literally thinking about Halloween candy right now. (laughs) Hopefully not the milk duck. No, milk duds are horrible. Uh, Dave, it's a really good point. I don't know, Chris. When Jordan Wilkins run, I just runs. I think there's like a fluidity to him. It just looks natural, mm-hmm. more north south, um, less choppy, if you will. Yeah. Um, again, I I am not by any means totally writing off Jonathan Taylor, and I. Very well understand. Life of a run game in the NFL can really be up and down, and it can be tough sledding for a while. I mean, Jonathan Williams last year, back-to-back 100-yard games, and he barely touches the football the rest of the season. So I, I totally understand that. But I just think as you move ahead and you play the week-to-week life in the NFL, I think it would do well, honestly for Jonathan Taylor as well, to watch the first series of the game from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Watch it, soak it in, and then all of a sudden – you go 10 plays in the Ravens, and now they're substituting more at that second unit on the second drive, and now you're hitting them with Taylor, who is 230, who does run 4-3, and you can get him in the open field, and voila. Yeah. I don't know. Probably sounds a lot better than it's actually going to turn out, but in my head right now, that's how I would move forward here in week whatever we're in, week 9, 10, something like that. Do you recall who was doing color? On the broadcast yesterday? Yeah, James Lofton. And shout out to our guy, Michael Grady. Oh, yeah. Grady was great. Stud. Great to see him continue to excel and elevate his career. Right. Why we live in Peasantville. 
But he mentioned late in the game, Wilkins made a cut and then split a double team, and he was in all. He's like, that play should be on their highlight reel at the end of the season. It was like an 11-yard run. Nothing looked flashy, but for the guys that understand the X's and O's of football, that was a great a great run. No, that's, that's a great point. And, again, that Quentin Nelson quote just kind of stood out to me after the game. And for those that missed it, I, I guess I'll just kind of pull it up. And, you know, you know Quentin Nelson, I mean. Mm-hmm. If I get the guy to say five words, I can sleep well at night. Um, He's the most straight-faced, stoic interview, I think. The I couldn't believe have. it. One of the Colts interns like, Quentin Nelson's on the Zoom. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> it was quick. It was like a, what, three-minute interview? It was quick. It was quick. But I got the quote that, that I was hoping for. Just more of a description on Wilkins. Because, you know, sometimes you ask these offensive linemen what the running back styles are like, and they're like, well, I don't really watch. <laughs> you know, I don't watch it from behind the play like you do. I'm just watching it on film. Um, let's see if I can get this pulled up here. All right. I like Jordan a lot. First of all, he's a great guy. He's very patient as a running back and really tries to read the blocks and hit the hole. He always runs hard, too. Every time Jordan has gotten a shot, he's done, for the most part, a great job. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a canned quote from Quentin Nelson. I do think there is a belief in that offensive line room that they appreciate how Jordan Wilkins runs behind them. And look, part of this is just maturation in the NFL. I mean, seriously. You know, I mean, this is a guy that, yes, he came from a great college system, and I expected quicker, instant sort of success than you would think, just given the pedigree that he had at Wisconsin and how much he carried the football. But you look at Marlon Mack's rookie season, man, I mean, he's under four yards per carry, mm-hmm. yet he's this gifted runner that, you know, is well over four in his next couple seasons. And, like, it's like, wait, they're still running Frank Gore out there? Well, Frank Gore has given you a little bit more from a vision standpoint. And I think it did well for Marlon Mack to kind of learn behind those guys. So, um, yeah, I think this is just all kind of part of the part of the maturation. This one comes from Cameron, who's a big fan from California. The Ravens, Packers, and Titans all have looked very beatable lately. He says, I realize that they're still elite playoff teams, but are you more hopeful for this stretch of games considering how they've looked and played the last two weeks? Hashtag let Phil cook. Let him cook. Cameron, shouts to California. Hope all is well with you out there. Boy, don't you love the week-to-week nature in the NFL? Mm -hmm. So these four games, three of them are at home. You know, that's a nice advantage you have. Um, you know, two and two is what I thought at the start of the year. I had them beating Baltimore and then beating Tennessee, the home game against Tennessee. I still think I would sign up for it. I think fans would sign up for it. Now, splitting Tennessee is the most important part. Yes. At least. If you sweep Tennessee, you are in the driver's seat. If you split, you're still behind the eight ball because you've already lost a divisional game. Tennessee's two and oh in the AFC South. That's something you gotta remember. At this point. But, um, yeah, I mean, recently you have seen the Ravens, Packers, and Titans lose games. And, honestly, what's more important to me is the injury situation. Taylor Lawan torn ACL. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Stanley, the fractured ankle. Bakhtiari for the Packers, you know, out. Uh, Mark Ingram's not going to play, it looks like, against the Colts. I mean, there are other situations that have impact. The Colts seemingly are getting a bit healthier outside of Hilton. And these other teams are kind of going the opposite way health-wise. So that, I think, is what is encouraging 
But I also can look at how those teams have played overall this season and realize, oh yeah, their five and two looks different than the Colts five and two. Mm-hmm. And it's just mainly, unfortunately, from who you've who you've played. And it goes back to the whole non-conference college basketball analogy that I make. You know, you've seen teams that have played nobody in the non-conference and show up in conference play and play great basketball. You've seen teams play nobody in the non-conference, show up in the conference, and get taken to the woodshed. Now, again, there's more parity in the NFL from top to bottom, but still. Um, I think 2-2. Two and two, Two and two is my expectation. Anything less, extreme disappointment. Anything better, I start rethinking what this team can do in January. Mm-hmm. Mitch wants to know, is Frank too committed to the run? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, you just can't be stubborn with it. And I, I, I get it. If I drop back Rivers 50 times a game, it's not going to end well, and you want to take some support off him, but... It's just a little bit too much for me. Um, and it's kind of how you're built, and you kind of kind of play to your team's strengths and this and that. But with the way you're protecting now, if you can maintain the quick rhythm, you know, I think you can kind of supplement the quick rhythm passing game to take up for some of your run game. Because when you get these negative runs, man, it's killing you. I mean, what do we say, five negative yeah. runs in the first uh, first quarter? Mm-hmm. Three drives, 25 yards was your longest drive. Punt, block, punt, punt. You come out in the third quarter, three straight runs, you punt. Now you come back in that second drive in the third quarter, you had three straight passes, and you still punted. So it's just, it's just, um, it's a tad too much for my liking. But this is Frank. He is going to be extremely committed to the run game. You're, you're banged up at wide out, but. Can you work some screen game in there? Can you get some crossers for Hines? You know, Mo Ali Cox is a big factor early on yesterday. I'd like to see again more of him as well. Um, so, yeah, just a tad too much for me, Mitch. Elijah asks, why does Rivers always check to a run play on second and long? All season on second and long hasn't worked, but yet they still keep doing it. Yeah, and this is obviously the unknown, Elijah. We just don't know how much he's doing it. It appears that he's doing it at times. Um. But I go back to what I said earlier. If you got a light box, you know, why not? So, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit maddening. It's like second and nine. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. A couple more here. This one comes from Brian. Where do you think the Colts team would be right now if they didn't sign Rivers and stuck with Brissett? It's a good one. Um. They definitely would have lost to the Bengals. Um, that might be it. When lost, I mean, the Colts really haven't played that many crazy pressure-packed fourth quarters. So, yeah, I would say, you know, you maybe lose to the Lions. I mean, Rivers was pretty darn good in that second quarter, man. Yeah. When that game was still in doubt, I mean, Rivers made some. Some big time plays for you. So I, I don't know, probably four and three, but maybe three and four. I mean, the wild thing again is just you've gotten virtually no run game support. None. Right. And Brissett got that last season. You know, I thought the Rivers upgrade just purely quarterback position 
was worth two wins, at least two wins. And I think we've seen that so far. He's worth it I, without question one win, and I'd say maybe into that second win. Probably a win and a half better right now. All right. Arthur asks, if Eberflus's defense has been very good, let's say it continues throughout the season, what are the chances we lose him? Because every week in his interviews, the man sounds more and more like a head coach, and he's already a candidate for some teams a couple years ago, if he's not mistaken. Yeah, he interviewed with Cleveland a couple years ago. Um, boy, how much has this tune changed since week one? <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, You know, Chris, are teams hiring defensive coaches? The way the NFL is now, it's very offensive-centric. Very. And the worry I would have is if you hire a guy like Eberflus and you all of a sudden have a great offense in a couple of years, your offensive coordinator is going to go move on. Whereas if you hire the offensive-minded head coach, that offense for the most part is still going to be intact until you fire him. That's what I like about Frank Reich as mm-hmm. a hire. Of like, oh, yeah, that offensive system's going no. Even if you lose Nick Sirianni, you still got the play caller. You still got the offensive mind. Um, you know what, Brian Flores, I guess, and that's probably more of a Belichick tree than anything. Vic Fangio, I mean, that hire's not looking great by any means. I, I don't know, maybe I'm missing a few defensive guys. Certainly, Matt Patricia will be fired after a few more losses. Yeah, it's just, um, I, I don't know. I can't, you know, I know he interviewed a few years ago, and yeah, there are there are some standards and the effort that those guys have to play to on that side of the ball that you like, but to be frank, there's not a lot of innovation. So if you want innovation, you're going to look elsewhere. Um, I just think owners are obsessed uh, with the offensive minds right yeah. now. You know, and Zach Taylor's and Cliff Kingsbury, do those guys deserve to be hired? You know, um, that's just how the game has shifted. It's not a crazy knock on Eberflus by any means. I don't want to sound like that. But I just think that teams are skeptical about hiring defensive minds let alone one that will admittedly not say that he's the most, you know, crazy, we're going to play 15 different things, 15 different plays at you. Yeah. This was from Patrick. With it being a buyer's market, do you see the Colts picking up a wide receiver or a future signal caller at the deadline? Rumors have it that OBJ and Dwayne Haskins are available. Isn't OBJ out for the year? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got questions about Ryan Kerrigan, Julio Jones. We got a lot of these, Chris. You know, it, it's the more I think about it, and I, I stated my stance on the trade deadline last Wednesday. The more I think about it, I'm like, you know what? Ballard was really win now in the offseason. You know, $25 million for Rivers, 13th overall pick to get Buckner. I mean, that is super win now. Yep. You are in year three. You are now tied for the division lead. If you make a move in the next 24, 30 hours, to me it will scream more of the, yeah, we got a few more chips in the middle than we have previously. Wide out is the one position. I can't see this young quarterback being traded. That would be much more of a long-term view. But, dude, the the, the, the trade deadline is such just sucker shopping, you know? It's like it's so sad how many times I've bought a Reese's at the checkout line at Kroger. <laughs> like, it's so sad. But, you know. That's kind of what the trade deadline is. They just sucker you into, oh, you think you're a buyer? Well, I'm a seller. You want to do business? And boom, yeah. you're real then. So that's so anti-Ballard, you know? he's so. I mean, literally, if you make a trade, okay, let's say hypothetically, and I know Will Fuller's in the AFC South, so this probably wouldn't happen, but you're hearing his name. The Colts traded a third-round pick for Will Fuller. 
what I, I don't even know if that's good value. Fourth round pick. I, I have no idea. You're getting Will Fuller, and he's got to be nearing the end of his rookie contract. Mm-hmm. You're getting Will Fuller on a bit of a rental. I don't think he's in a contract year this year, but I think he would be in it next year. Whereas you could turn around and have that third or fourth round pick in April and be getting four years of guaranteed value on that player. Not to mention there are questions about Will Fuller's health and just, you know, those sorts of things and and whatnot. So that's just the dilemma that you got away with some of these moves. And I know a lot of people have said, you know, well, you're going to get a comp pick back for Jacoby Brissett, so you wait on him. That comp pick's going to be a six-rounder at best, in my opinion. So, yeah, Patrick, I'm saying all this to I still don't think you make a move. I just don't think it's worth the risk of sending a day one or a day two draft pick for what is likely a short-term rental. Mm -hmm. I don't. But, man, I'd look at that wideout depth chart right now, and I'd say, oh, geez. Don't let me don't let me answer that phone because because I'm I'm a little worried. Two more. This is from Jason. Is there ever a concern about having your press access limited if you ask tough questions to the coaching staff, management, players, etc.? It seems like the coach franchise gets off easy with media compared to others other markets. Um, I mean, if you have concern, you shouldn't be in the business. You know, to be honest, Jason, I I like to think that. I probably speak for myself, but I mean, for the most part, my other colleagues as well, I like to think we ask fair questions, but, you know, certainly me talking personally, you know, when I hear journalism 101, to me, that is integrity. And that means if it's going good, you talk about the good. When it's going bad, you talk about the bad. And it's not all great and it's not all bad. And that's why we do the things I like, the things I didn't like. Like, you know, covering this beat is very wide ranging. And again, it's not all perfect and it's not all awful. And we are never like that on this podcast. So, yeah, to me, it's like you aren't doing your job if you're not asking tough questions and then very deserved questions when they're playing great and whatnot. And I love when, you know, and I've certainly had Colts people that have been frustrated with questions I've asked or comments I've made on this podcast or whatnot. I'm like, folks, this is the NFL. <laughs> the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know how much money the NFL makes? <laughs> what? This is not, I'm not covering Clay Junior High's cross-country match against Carmel Junior High and Creekside and we're, you know, Gus Jones is trying to finish, you know, in 20 minutes to get a s'more from his mom or whatever. Like, come on, this is... And unfortunately, Zoom kind of sucks. It's like you get one to two questions, and I'm like, well, I really want to make this question count, mm-hmm. and, and I'm kind of weighing it. I, you know, you talk to Frank Reich, you know, three times a week, not after a game, so it's kind of tough juggling those questions of like, you know, I've got questions in my queue. I'm like, well, I've been meaning to ask Frank for a while now, and now I can finally get it out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit more critical in other markets, but me speaking personally – my biggest goal, I know I'm not the greatest feature writer by any means. I know I'm not some incredibly entertaining Greg Doyle. My goal is just to be honest. honest. That, that's what I want from coverage, and that's what we try to give you here on, on this podcast and on 107.5thefan.com. Well, Kevin, as you have your Notre Dame hat on, this last one's from Mitchell right down your alley. What Notre Dame current player could you see on the Colts? Before we get to the question, what year do you think this hat's from? 
You had that since you were a kid? I honestly think Ryan Bowen had it as a child. He's five and a half years older than me. My two favorite pieces of clothing are two Ryan Bowen <laughs> hand-me-downs. That Literally, you will find pictures in Bowen family albums of Ryan wearing these clothes when he was probably five. Yeah. This hat being one of them. So, at least 1986, 87. And then there's this Notre Dame baseball jersey that I love. It's got some rips in it. I just, I love it. It's my favorite. I'll wear it Saturday night. Um, I can't wait for Saturday night, by the way, in case I haven't mentioned that seven times in this podcast already. <laughs> what Notre Dame current player could you see on the Colts? The best Notre Dame football player is a safety named Kyle Hamilton, who is an absolute freak. He um, is a 6'4", 215-ish pound safety that just moves like he's the best athlete in the football team. I, I Maybe safety's not the biggest need, but that dude is a football player. And he is just a stud. Uh, why Georgia Tech continued to throw at him or run at him was LOL. Um, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora, linebacker, another guy. They just call him Wu, okay. thankfully. Um, <laughs> he would be a guy. I love how Kyron Williams runs it, their running back. A fumble on Saturday I didn't love. But, um, yeah, Kyle Hamilton will be atop that list. Michael Mayer, their young tight end, really like as well. Is that 80, Is that baby Gronk? Yeah. Okay. 87. Yeah. True, true freshman. Yeah. That dude's physically, I'm like, you played on Friday nights last year? Right. In Kentucky? Oh, my God. Pray for those kids. Uh, yeah. I can't wait uh, for Saturday night. Can't wait for Sunday afternoon. Boy, this is, man. Think about this, Chris, all right? We got Notre Dame Clemson Saturday night. Mm-hmm. We got Colts Ravens Sunday. We got Beers with Bowen next Wednesday. We got Colts Titans Thursday night. And we've got the freaking Masters starting a week from Thursday. Oh, yeah. Folks, they say March, April, the greatest month of the year for Kevin Bowen right now. These these next two weeks, I cannot wait. We'll be back Wednesday. Chris going to go on a little vacay. Safe travels. Thank you. Heading out to California this evening. I love it. I love it. Um, we'll, we'll still be back. Podcast Wednesday. Podcast next Monday as well. Again, Beers with Bowen next Wednesday night, 8 o'clock on YouTube. Giving away prizes, a big gift card to Colts Pro Shop. Um, check that out on our site, 1075thefan.com. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you Wednesday.